You may have heard me talk about all or nothing thinking. But do you think you could catch it in all the little ways that it seeps into your thoughts? Today, we're talking about one of the classic cognitive distortions, which is all or nothing thinking, also called all or none thinking, black and white thinking, or dichotomous thinking. A lot of us do it to the extent that we don't even realize it. And it's one of the most common cognitive distortions that can start damaging us over time. If you're ready to tackle some all or none thinking and think about the ways that you might not have even noticed you're doing it, you'll want to listen to today's baggage check. Welcome. I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this is Baggage Check, mental health talk and advice. I am very glad that you are here today. I must tell you that Baggage Check is not a show about luggage or travel. Incidentally, it is also not a show about what makes something authentic pleather. All right, let's get started. Most of you know that my work in cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT in other words, and also acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, deals with identifying dysfunctional patterns in thinking. And these dysfunctional patterns are the ones that are associated with an increased risk of depression and anxiety and hopelessness. There is so much research behind the impact of these dysfunctional thought patterns or these distorted thought patterns, which we call cognitive distortions. And I really wanted to focus on all or none thinking today because I know I've mentioned it a lot before, but we've never really delved deep into how to identify it. I work very frequently with my clients on getting rid of all or none thinking, or maybe that's too all or none in and of itself, on lessening their all or none thinking. And a lot of times, these are people who were aware of the concept, but they're really shocked how often they do it and also how much it makes them miserable. So again, we often call this dichotomous thinking or black or white thinking. It's the same thing, pretty much. The basic idea is that instead of being able accurately to assess a situation, especially a somewhat negative situation, we see things in black and white terms. We see them in stark terms, like categories. It's either this or that, or it's either everything or nothing. For instance, it might be that something feels not just partially screwed up, but just completely ruined. Or I don't just feel like I have kind of a cruddy day, but everything about this day stank. Something's not just going fairly poorly. It is completely wrecked. Of course, a little exaggeration every once in a while that's not likely to be super psychologically damaging. Most of us have shortcuts in our speech patterns where we overgeneralize for maybe entertainment's sake or for simplicity's sake. But the real harm comes when all or none thinking becomes chronic. It becomes an ingrained pattern. And it starts to give shape to the way that we process the world around us. Because remember, language doesn't just reflect how we're feeling and thinking, it also affects how we feel and how we think. So we might start to begin to see the world in oversimplified terms and maybe overly negative terms. 
And in turn, this can make us feel really helpless and hopeless and pessimistic about ourselves and our futures and the world around us and our loved ones. So if you want to think about whether you might be engaging in this type of thinking, we're going to highlight some words here. And I want you to start thinking about how you use these words. Now, obviously, these words are part of the English language, so they have their place. So it's not that if you use these words, it automatically means you engage in all or none thinking. And the truth is, a lot of things are all or none, right? We're not saying that you should never be using the word everything, for instance, but we're saying if you look at the way that you use the word everything, you might notice that it's a distortion. Everything stinks today, for instance. Okay, so let's talk about the following words, starting with always. (laughs) This is a big one, right? And it's true that some things happen always, but a lot of things are not quite always that we still use the word always for. This is really one of the most common words for all or none thinking. It's often used in a negative way, maybe an accusatory way. You always let me down. Maybe it takes just a few specific instances and overgeneralizes them in order to maybe criticize somebody else or to condemn what we're going through as just, you know, being this constant never-ending struggle. It's often combined with maybe a generalization about somebody's personality, like you're always late, you always do that, I always get taken advantage of. Certainly there might be times when always feels accurate, but there are a lot of times where it can keep you in a cycle of believing that things won't get better. Martin Seligman talked about this when he first was studying what we call attributional styles for the sort of depressed way of thinking. And he found that people who were prone to depression tended to think in very stable ways about negative events. Stable here sounds good, but it wasn't good in this particular way because it meant stable as in things won't change. Things are negative and they won't get better. And always is often a part of this. When you're thinking about something negative, it's always like this. It's a very pessimistic and likely distorted way of thinking. So in that way, it can really play into learned helplessness as well. The idea that I won't be able to change things because they will always be this way. And it really can make us more impatient because we feel like there's no use in waiting something out or giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. Um, It can make us less understanding as well because maybe we're less empathetic because we just think that somebody is just always the type of person where this happens. So that's an important word to start with. And with all of these words, it might be a really interesting exercise for you to kind of look through your texts the texts that you have with loved ones, the texts that you have with more sort of conflicted relationships, professional emails, and also just listen to yourself and try to hear what you're saying as an observer. Are you using a lot of all or none thinking? Are you using the word always a lot in a really overgeneralized way? Really worth paying attention to. Of course, the second word is the flip side of always, and that would be never, right? 
And it can do equal damage when it's used to get rid of hope or when it's used to make people less flexible or to get rid of the benefit of the doubt when we're judging someone. Again, there aren't really that many times when never is true in interpersonal relationships. So it's not very often that it's helpful to view things in these terms. I mean, when we really think about it, monkeys at typewriters, right? The idea that if we had infinite time and infinite monkeys and infinite typewriters, one of them would eventually type out the complete works of Shakespeare in order. That's a pretty smart monkey there. But no, it's just by chance, right? In theory, the whole idea of never say never, well, there's some credence to it there, right? A lot of times when we're using the word never, eh, it's not necessarily justifiable. And again, it might have its place. There are certain things that have never happened. And of course, it's accurate to describe them that way. But a lot of times when we use never, we're using it maybe in a negative way to rule something out, to rule out hope, right? Um, Now, again, I'm not saying, hey, go on to have false hope and base your entire retirement strategy on the lottery or anything like that. But if you say things like, I never catch a break, mm, you know, what does that really tell us cognitively? How do we start viewing our lives through that lens? Or I never know what to say at parties, or I never do well in presentations. Or if you're really stuck in kind of a negative vision for the future, you might say something like, I'll never amount to anything, or things will never get better. That's that same sort of stable negative attribution, that things won't improve. There's a lot of hopelessness there. And of course, when we say never to loved ones, it's a pretty fine line into potential character assassinations, right? You never do X, Y, and Z. Certainly, there have been lots of marital arguments that I have heard of from my clients that really devolve pretty quickly when the accusations start flying about what somebody never does. You never take out the trash. You never do X, Y, or Z. So always and never are counterparts in that way. The next word is everything. Now, this is the classic mountain out of molehill situation. In the depressed attributional style, this would mean instead of thinking in very specific ways, you're thinking in very global ways. So something relatively small happens, but now we're going to say that everything is awful. It can be so tempting to say that, quote unquote, everything is going wrong, maybe during a vacation where there are a lot of mishaps. And the truth is, you know, if you're saying that in kind of a laughing kind of way, you don't truly believe that there's no hope for your vacation, then that's not that bad, right? There's not that much dysfunction there. But when you truly believe that everything is going wrong because you're looking through that all or none lens, that mindset gets damaging because it really prohibits you from being able to see what's going right. And of course, we realize it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Confirmation bias, you'll see any little thing that's going wrong, any little sign that that hotel room is a dump. And Maybe that wasn't so bad, but now you are confirming 
that all or none negative way of thinking, that global overgeneralized way of thinking. And of course, that makes you more helpless too, because it might prevent you from bothering to try to troubleshoot or strategize to get some joy or to fix things. Okay. The next one would be totally, right? And I can just hear this in kind of the classic Valley Girl speak, totally, right? And, you know, that has been around forever, I think, in slang. And a lot of times it's very affirming. I can think of times when people say totally, and it's beautiful. It is a connecting word. Somebody is echoing, they're empathizing, they're saying absolutely, oh, I can totally understand that. I'm there with you. That doesn't seem to be a problem, right? Or certainly the surfer days of totally rad, dude, you know, that's wonderful in its own way, right? But what we're talking about with totally is that time when it becomes part of all or none thinking in a negative direction. This job totally stinks. Something's totally wrong with her. My house is a total pigsty. This is another overgeneralization. Well, not necessarily about my house, but (laughs) most of the time when we're talking in these terms, when you're going from part to whole so quickly, you're probably missing something. You're blinding yourself from seeing the potential positives, the potential glimmers of hope. And maybe this happens with a person, right? You're putting filters on that actually keep out the good and you're not recognizing the positive aspects of what somebody's bringing to the table because you already have this established perspective that really is negative and that doesn't allow you to see the positive. And that's going to keep you stuck. Our next word is ruined. And yes, some things in life can get completely ruined. I have raised three children that have taught me that on a weekly basis since the day that they were born. But we're not talking about situations here where maybe your phone goes through the washing machine or a house of cards gets knocked over. We're talking about the catastrophizing where there's blame, where there's conflict. Maybe it's being thrown at somebody like a partner when you say they ruined the evening or you maybe had a personal project where there was a setback and now you say everything's ruined. It might be helpful in those situations really to reframe the experience. Is the struggle part of growth? Are you gaining insights that will pay off later? Are there aspects of the situation that can be salvaged in a positive way? Maybe your water damage phone could be a prop, for instance, for a community theater troupe. Really thinking about how sometimes we think things are ruined, but in reality, there's a new path that's been illuminated for us. And we're going to learn something. Or we're going to resolve a conflict that had been going on for a while and that was always hiding under the surface. If so, then things aren't truly ruined because we're taking something with us. The next word would be can't. And of course, there are plenty of times where can't makes sense. Hey, setting boundaries, saying no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. That can be really functional in a lot of situations. 
But there are lots of other times when can't is really used in a negative way as an overgeneralization, right? What we're really talking about today with all or nothing or all or none thinking is the overgeneralizations. And in that way, the word can't might just be compounding feelings of learned helplessness, feelings of hopelessness. It might be serving to perpetuate a pattern of self-sabotage. This can't be fixed. I can't do anything right. I can't handle this, right? I can't handle this is such a classic cognitive distortion about anxiety. It's that anxiety about having anxiety that distress about uncomfortable feelings, right? The idea that I'm not strong enough to handle difficult feelings. So pay attention to how you use this word in your daily life, right? I can't become a WNBA superstar. That much is clear, right? We're not stigmatizing any of these words fully, but we're saying sometimes people develop patterns of using these words that are really dysfunctional, the patterns themselves. As much as it has become something of a self-help cliche to banish can't from your vocabulary, it might be possible that you're using the word can't in ways that really do get you into a rut of powerlessness or negative thinking. So ask yourself if the word can't is intruding upon a realistic sense of your abilities or it's getting in the way of your ability to strategize, or it's making you feel more inertia about staying in place rather than changing your environment. And second to last, our penultimate word is everyone or no one. Okay, so it's not just one word. In fact, it's three words, because if I add no one in there, this is very much problematic in a lot of circumstances where it's really used to polarize. We live in a really, really tribal kind of highly charged political environment. And it's been getting worse, I think, as we're all in our own little silos and misinformation grows and we scapegoat other people. So this whole us versus them mentality that has taken hold It leads to anger, it leads to fear, it leads to stereotypes. And of course, when you combine all that stuff, it can easily lead to hate. So one of the mechanisms of prejudice is to make sweeping generalizations about groups of people that are different than us. And people in the throes of negative thinking, well, we're already talking about the ways that all or none thinking makes you overgeneralize, right? And so if we start doing it to larger groups, we start talking about everyone does this or they always do that, you know, bringing in the old always, or no one ever takes care of each other these days, or everyone's just become so rude. Is that truly accurate? that no one uses their turn signal anymore, or that no one else cares about stuff? What about the sweeping conclusions you might draw when it feels like you against the world because you've been hurt and betrayed? A lot of times those overgeneralizations start to come fast and furious. We kind of write off the rest of humanity. But the truth is... I can't imagine a way that that actually makes us feel better, at least not past that immediate sort of sour grapes kind of feeling. 
Really, it paralyzes us from moving forward. It blinds us to some of the goodness out there. It makes us assume the worst of people. It might turn us cynical and negative and unduly fearful. It might make us really dig in our heels with that us versus them mentality where we paint people with such a broad brush just by a certain characteristic that we see in them. So a lot of this isn't just our own mental health at stake. It's really maybe a cultural problem that we're talking about. But finally, why not listen to the presence of the word anymore? As with the other words, there are definitely times when this word can be used in positive ways. I don't wear those smelly shoes anymore, for instance. It's amazing how quickly they got just completely unsalvageable from sitting out in the rain. So if you're deciding to stop bad habits or you're letting go of regrets, the word anymore can have a beautiful role in that. But other times it's used very similarly, like we were just talking about, to sort of condemn the state of the world. It's used to bemoan things that have seemingly changed. It represents a cognitive distortion that really can bring you down. Nobody does such and such anymore. Well, hey, there's a there's a double one there. Nobody and anymore, right? People just aren't as nice anymore. Or maybe within yourself, oh, I'm not good at that anymore. To assume that something positive can't happen anymore or that things have changed for the worse, well, it denies you the opportunity to have hope for the future. It closes you off to some of those little glimmers that we have in life where something surprises us in a positive way. So hopefully this gave you some starting points. Again, we've talked about all or none thinking a lot. I won't say that we always talk about all or none thinking, har har. But I really think that even if you understand the concept of all or none thinking, it can be so beneficial to become reflective about your own language and to really think through whether or not it's something that you engage in, even when you're not realizing it. Can be really telling again to maybe look through texts or just listen to ourselves with an added level of mindfulness. So, if any of these things resonated with you, let me know. Thanks for joining me today. Once again, I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this has been Baggage Check with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Join us on Instagram at Baggage Check Podcast. Give us your take and opinions on topics and guests. And you know you've got that friend who listens to like 17 podcasts. We'd love it if you told them where to find us. Our original music is by Jordan Cooper, cover art by Daniel Marity, and my studio security, it's Buster the Dog. Until next time, take good care.